Welcome to another episode of the Property Nomads podcast. This is another property FAQ. The last episode uh, proved to be quite popular. People were emailing in uh, saying that we do another one. So we've got this one lined up. There's also a couple more lined up in the next few weeks as well. Property FAQs. Uh, in this episode, I've got questions revolving around uh, things that can go wrong, mistakes, uh, bits and pieces like that. So I do my best to uh, to to answer. I uh, once again say a big thank you for sending in your questions, your queries, uh, comments. Uh, people do that across uh, email robertpmpodcast.com. We can connect with Aaron DeVoy as well on various social media platforms or indeed the Property Nomads podcast as well. Uh, get a few direct messages on Instagram, uh, which is nice. So uh, thank you for the, these questions. Again, these are the most popular questions that uh, we get asked, have been asked over the years. So yeah, here we go. Uh, Property FAQs, uh, episode two, uh, we'll call this. And no particular order. Uh, should I buy my property in personal name or limited company? Good question. Um, I'm guessing that people that have written in with this question have not yet started in property and they're thinking about it. Uh, in that case, good on you for, for thinking about it. Not even many people would think about getting into property in the first place. Should you buy property in personal name or limited company? There, it, it depends. Uh, it really does depend. It depends on your strategy. It depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, are you trying to leave a legacy? Um, in what are your current circumstances? You know, are you a high rate taxpayer at the moment? Are you a low rate taxpayer at the moment? There, there's a multitude of reasons why you might want to invest in personal name. And there's a multitude of reasons why you might want to invest in, in a limited company. Oh, I will say, I should have said this at the start of the episode, and I said this in the the previous FAQs, and I'll say it again for the next FAQ episodes as well. The It's an educational podcast. We're not here to offer specific uh, advice, uh, you know, financial advice, business planning advice. That's not what we do. In order for you to do that you need to speak to the right people you need to speak to the professionals the mortgage brokers the accountants uh, the tax planners the solicitors etc 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 have to get that off uh, the chest just in case uh, that backfires on us at some point should you buy property in personal name or limited company uh, it depends think about why you're buying it in the first place think about your personal position at the moment what's going on what's your current job if you have one uh, all of these things uh, and then speak to the necessary professional uh, speak to an accountant and or tax planner uh, most good accountants and tax planners will uh, be able to do a, a quick free session you know so if you've got a very specific question that you're after a generic answer they will be able to should be able to help you for that I mean, there's you know, I know there's a whole thing about section 24, and a lot of people say it's more favorable in, in limited company. Yeah, chances are that is probably the case, but again, speak to the necessary professional on that one. What strategies are available, and which one or ones should I do? That is a mammoth question, that's probably an episode in itself. 
I could probably go on for hours and hours covering a plethora of property strategies that are available and probably wouldn't get to the end of it. And I'd probably miss a few out as well. There's so many strategies that are available. You can do a buy, refurbish, refinance, which is predominantly buy-to-let property, but you can do that on a, on a, a multitude of other properties. Uh, you could look at rent-to-rents. You could look at rent-to-rent lease options. You can look at HMOs. You can look at commercial. You can look at industrial. You can look at uh, getting a planning game on a property. You could look at developments, commercial to residential developments, build to rent, buy to rent. There are so many different strategies out there. And, and that's just covering covering the surface there. I'm sure there are a lot more that I've, I've forgotten. Which one or ones should you do? I would always say, when you start, and this is difficult, and it's probably a bit contrary, focus. It's very easy to get sucked in to, oh, I've got a bit here, and oh, there's a bit over there, and oh, there's a bit over there, and oh, they're doing serviced accommodation, and they're, they're earning three grand a month on one property, and oh my God, I want that, blah, 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 blah. Shiny penny syndrome does exist. It definitely does exist in, in property, probably in in whole uh, many other walks of life as well what strategies are available which ones should i do that depends on you uh, depends on how you want to invest do you want to become incredibly hands-on uh, in the day-to-day -day operations do you want to be able to uh you know, as, as, as they say have the baby but not have the pains we like buy to let. Uh, Aaron and myself, we like buy to let. Reason is, you know, we are aware that it's a slower strategy in terms of cash flow. We are aware of that. The reason that we've gone down that route is we would like to own the assets because we're creating or starting to create very long-term generational wealth. Now we're looking at, you know, years and years in the future, uh, not just for ourselves, uh, but you know, for, for future generations of our respective families as well. That's the approach we're taking to it. And we know that if you study wealth, you've got to start somewhere and normally preserving that wealth uh, over time will compound uh, and will lead to massive results. Sometimes that's difficult to see because you're in the moment. It's sometimes very challenging to see something in the moment. Uh, Sorry, to see something in the long term or in the future when, when you are stuck in, in the moment, working for that moment. Uh, many people uh, that get involved, uh, they like going down the uh, rent-to-rent route, uh, whether that's a rent-to-rent -rent HMO or rent-to-rent -rent serviced accommodation. Uh, the reason for that is it can provide quick cash flow if, they, if people want to get out of their jobs quicker. Yeah, so if there's a burning desire, um, there are many success stories, you know, in those fields. Uh, and then those people will either keep that business as it is or expand on that business or then use the uh, profits to then purchase assets. Um, you know, there, there is no right or wrong in property. Uh, as long as everyone operates under this ethical umbrella, you know, the uh, 
If you operate under that umbrella, there's no right or wrong. So if you decide you want to have five buy-to-lets, great, thumbs up, crack on and do it. If you decide you want to have a multi-million pound uh, service accommodation portfolio, again, crack on, go ahead and do it. You know, as long as you do it, as long as you're doing it legally, uh, you're not uh, being dodgy or anything like that, you know, absolutely fine. Uh, do, do whatever works for you at the end of the day in property. But there, there are numerous strategies available. Um, you could say spend a whole episode on that at some points. So that's a good idea. Another question, what can go wrong in property? Oh, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot can go wrong in property. Uh, I don't want to come across as all being all doom and gloom here because that's not the point. At the end of the day, property is a business and in business, you're going to have things that go well. You are going to have things that don't go so well. Uh, property is no different. There are going to be times in your portfolio when you've got a full portfolio, you've got no maintenance, everyone's happy, there's no issues, the rent's coming in on time, happy days. That is almost like the the utopia of property. Uh, but it does happen. You know, we've we've had uh, we've had that periods like that in our business where we haven't had to do anything because everything's been taken care of for us. And that's a very, very good thing. But what can go wrong in property? Oh, many things. Uh, you, you can have um, a, a boiler blow up, for example, not quite literally. Well, can, you can have it happen quite literally, but hopefully it won't happen. You won't have a gas explosion uh, in, in, one of your, in one of your properties there. But you can have um, boilers decide to stop working. Heating systems decide to fail. You can have you know, inclement weather and might discover you've got a hole in your roof. So you can have water penetration. You might have valuations that come a lot, come in a lot lower than you want. You might have an investor money tied up into a deal when you don't want it tied up into a deal because a valuation hasn't gone in your favor. Uh, you might have tenants that decide not to pay their rent. Uh, you might have a tenant that decides to trash the property. All of these things are just realistic yeah these things can happen and it's important to point out as i did at the start of the question that things can go wrong in property it's a business these things can happen will probably happen and you know don't delude yourself that you're going to be any different you can provide the best quality housing that you want something inevitably will go wrong at some point that's just almost a a fact of life that you have to accept We've had, you know, we've had, we have many things happen. We have overpaid for sourcing fees. We have overpaid for maintenance. We have overpaid for refurbishments because you don't know what you don't know. Uh, we've, every day is a new day to learn. Every day is a new chance to learn. You know, if we can go back and, and not make those mistakes, then we, then we wouldn't make those mistakes. But we've now learned what we need to do, how we need to do it. We've created better systems and processes, you know, and that will stop us from repeating mistakes as well. And also we do listen every now and then. Uh, we do read other people's books. Uh, we do tap into other podcasts. And it's important to be able to learn from the mistakes of others as well. Um, I'm hoping that by listening to this, you know, you can learn from mistakes that we've made and then you don't repeat those mistakes that we've made. And that will help you moving forward as well. But in a nutshell, a lot can go wrong in property. Um, 
I remember a couple of times now we've had a Peter Jones who's an expert in buy to let he's come on the podcast a couple of times and he said quite rightly so he said Rob worst case scenario if your property blows up or whatever it might be you've still got the land and the land is still worth something so don't be worried about things going down to absolute zero because that land is still going to be worth something there, there is this you know, that's I suppose that's one of the great things uh, with with property itself. But yeah, um, I think we've um, done an episode a while ago on um, top mistakes that we've made in property. Um, go and check that episode out as well. That'll give you a bit more information uh, as to things that have gone wrong in our portfolio over the years. I'm scared of uh, making mistakes. How can I stop making mistakes? I'm going to say that if you're scared of making mistakes, you're probably not in the right frame of mind and you're probably not in the right business in the first place. If you're scared of making mistakes, it means you won't do anything. Uh, then paradoxically, by not doing anything, you're then probably making a mistake by not doing anything. So it's better to go out and take action in the first place. Don't be scared of making mistakes. Mistakes will happen. It's how you react to those mistakes that will set you apart from others. I think it's, um, go back to some stoicism. I think it's Marcus Aurelius. Anything that happens in life is objective, but how we react is subjective, i.e. assuming you are have the mental fortitude or the mental capacity. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just being realistic. If you have the mental capacity to be able to react to something, then you know how you react to something is going to give you answers. You know, uh, again, let's go back to a, a property valuation. Uh, a valuation happens and it's a bit lower than you would have hoped. Okay, that's objective. It has happened. How do you react to that? Do you throw your toys out the pram? Do you fight things? Do you look at why it's happened? You know, you get the gist. You get what I'm trying to say. But if you're scared of making mistakes, don't be. It's easier said than done. Things will happen in property. Um, how can you stop making mistakes? Get involved in content. Uh, listen to other people's podcasts. Listen to uh, read books. Listen to books. Uh, whatever you prefer to do. Learn from the mistakes of others as well. Uh, and sometimes just getting both feet on your ground and making your own mistakes is a good thing because you'll learn so much from them. I know when I was at school years and years ago, I always used to be this um, sort of person where I'd much rather do the theory than take a ridiculous amount of action and over time as i grew up that that has changed i much rather take the action deal with the shit and it is what it is rather than the theory so yeah go ahead take action mistakes will be made don't be scared of making mistakes you know really what's the worst that can happen um as i just alluded to in the previous answer you know if your house blows up you're still going to be left with a land that's still worth something a bit morbid, but it is what it is. And another question here. How do you know what the end value of the property will be? Great question. Research, 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 research. On a, on a buy to let, really, you, you've got to be speaking to the agents. You should have done your homework beforehand anyway. 
So if you know that, I'll give you an example of a property we bought a while ago. Uh, we bought it, at, I think it's 55,000 pounds. And we knew from our research that given what was going on in the area, we knew what we were going to do. We we're going to buy, refurb it, release the finance in a couple of years time, uh, let the area sort of come up a little bit and, and add value for the refurb as well. We knew that in that area, a two bed property, which is what it is, uh, would normally do about £80,000. That's what we knew from our research. And we knew that from uh, some simple right moving, uh, a bit of zooplering as well. And speaking to local agents, we knew that uh, rental wise, it was it was a good area. Uh, but yeah, house value wise, we knew when we got it, about 80,000 would be right. So we can base our figures on, on 80,000 pounds. Uh, when it got round to valuation, I think it valued up at 82. So even then we got slightly more than we thought. But in answer to your question, research, research, research. I would say that on the day of valuation, and that people do, will do this in two different ways. On the day of valuation, I would always say it's advisable to prepare a little information pack for the valuer. The information packs are incredibly useful. You don't want to tell the valuer how to do their job. That's inappropriate, but always hand over a little pack. And that's where you just want to pick out the best comparables that you can find on Rightmove. You know, and maybe a list of works that you've done to the property, some before and after photos, they're crucial. Hand that pack over to the valuer. Some valuers will thank you for it and will have a look through it when they get back to the office because it helps them, helps their job. Some just won't care or they'll give you the impression they don't care. I always hand them over the pack. I'll let them in. I'll let them in the property, or the lettings agent will let them in the, in the property. You'd be as kind and, and as courteous as possible. Uh, and at the end of the day, you, you're at the hands of the valuer. But do prepare that little pack that is useful. And yeah, just to reiterate, how do you know what the end value of the property will be? Research, research, research is number one. Secondly, do remember that you are at the subjective hand of a valuer. So you are in their hand and it is their opinion on the day that will determine what your property value will be. But by doing a good amount of research, you can have a good idea of what an end value will be, and then you'll be able to uh, prepare yourself. So hopefully that answers that question. Would you recommend training before I get started? Yes, I definitely would. There are many things you can do. Uh, how do you define training? Do you define training as being a £5,000 course, a £10,000 course, uh, maybe a, you know, like we do, we do a, a strategy a strategy day. I still know better at saying that, but we do them to sit down one-on-one -on -one with uh, people that are looking to get involved in property, looking to get started in property. And we've had some great feedback on them as well. Training for some people could be buying a bunch of books, uh, you know, we've, we've written 101 top property tips. I've also written buy to let how to get started, a very comprehensive book that aims to get you your first buy to let investment property. For some people, training could be listening to podcasts uh, like this one. Other property podcasts are available. So it, it depends. I would always say if you're going to get started in something, you're going to want to know more about it. Uh, you know, if people are wanting to start in property, you know, why are you going to start in property? What's the reasoning behind it? 
why do you want to do it? Always sit down and do some mental training first. And I've been told that that's a bit wishy-washy before, but it's so damn true. It really, really is. You've got to have the mental fortitude. You've got to know why you're doing something. Uh, you'll get the best value that way if you know why you're doing something. And then the common thing that we get from people is people will say, look, hey guys, I've got, you know, 20, 25,000 pound in the bank. You know, I, th I think I've got a deposit ready, um, but then I'm also thinking about doing this 8,000 pound course. Now that's a chicken and egg scenario because you could argue and say, well, if you go and do the course, you're gonna be filled with more knowledge. Uh, you've probably would have increased your network by attending that course. And you might be able to go out, learn a few, you know, learn quite a lot and then get a couple of properties. But then you've always taken, assuming you're gonna use your savings to do the deposit and not use other people's money. Then if you go down training, you might have just taken away some of that deposit money. Whereas the flip side of that, and other people say, well, yeah, okay, get a couple of books on buy to let or whatever it is, for example, get a couple of books, you've got a deposit there, go and just go and buy a home. You know, read the books, listen to the podcast, take the action, follow the advice. Next thing you know, you've got a buy to let property. Six of one half dozen the other. I'm going to fence it because I've, I have, and the reason I fence it is that I have also gone around and chased a shiny penny. Uh, you know, investing course after course after course, not a course junkie as such, but I have gone on quite a few courses and I'm grateful for that because of the education that I've received. On the flip side, if I am truthful with myself and said, Rob, if I was to start all over again, would I? And how would I do it? I probably would start again knowing what I know now. So would I recommend training before I get started, before you get started? Yes, I would. That level of training though is down to you. There are numerous things you can do. You can say, get into podcasts, listen to audio books, attend uh, things like strategy days, investor days like we do. Uh, and if you wanted to, you can also do higher level training as well. And you know, the entry, amount into that is going to be um, quite substantial but again you've got to balance that out with the your application of that of that training and the rewards that you'll probably get from doing that training so I'm going to fence it with that answer how and why did you get started in property Aaron and I were lucky enough to travel uh, in 2014-2015 uh, we've known each other since university so from 2006-2007 so we've known each other a long time. Uh, we went traveling in 2011 uh, to Southeast Asia. We came back, we worked, and we just went back to full-time jobs because uh, we, didn't, we didn't know any better. Then went to Brazil for the World Cup in 2014. From there and from, the, from, from traveling around South America and Central America quite a lot, we were out there for nine or 10 months. There was a lot of bus journeys and you know, you just get chatting. And, it, you know, after months, we just kept saying to ourselves, look, there's got to be a better way that we can create income rather than have to go back, go to work, come back out and travel and then repeat that cycle for forever. From from that conversation, uh, we spoke about a few things and decided that property is probably the best place to. Probably the best place to start. We wanted to create long term wealth. You know, we'd known each other quite a few years by then. 
we happy with you know that that we know the other person or knew the other person and that was that we we just got started came back listened to a bunch of podcasts found some books deep dived into that um attended some you know various seminars and bits and pieces and then after that decided that we should go ahead and start building buy to let portfolio and uh, that's what we continue to do to this day thankfully podcast has come about there's other streams of income as well uh, which are there but that's how we got started why did we get started uh, the main reason is travel we know that and again the last couple of years have been a bit of a difficult time to travel uh, for various reasons but we know in in some point in due course uh, once the portfolio has reached a certain level that that will enable us to be able to go out and, and comfortably travel uh, without having to you know worry or think too much about how things are going on uh, back in back in the UK so that's how we got started that's why we've got started uh, we're taking a very long-term approach to to our portfolio um, you know unless something drastic happens we'll never sell uh, those properties those homes they are now there in the portfolio uh, I doubt they'll be going anywhere anytime soon. I can feel my voice becoming a bit coarse. Uh, apologies for that. So wrap up with this question. How can I manage builders properly? Uh, builders are a different kettle of fish. Certainly had my share of run-ins with them. And that's probably my fault, not their fault. Because I didn't know what I don't know. There are a couple of ways you can manage builders. Number one, if you do not think you are a good people person, you do. if you do not think you are going to be good at managing those sorts of things, or it's not your skill set, then find someone that is very good at doing it. You can easily find a very good estate agent that might manage things for a fee. Same with lettings agents. You might find a lettings agent that can manage for a fee or if you've got the skill set you can manage them yourselves if you do not live in the same area as your investment property and you're trying to manage builders from afar even from country to country we're blessed now with a lot more technology than than we were years and years ago so you know we've now got skype zoom you know microsoft teams our whatsapp video calls facebook messenger calls you know all of these sorts of things you know photo messaging you know it's uh, i think crazy what we get used to but the, you know, these are things that are quite revolutionary when you think about it that's one way you can manage builders you know don't just give them a set of cash don't give them cash anyway um don't just say oh yeah here's a project there's six weeks see you at the end of six weeks you've got to be checking in every week uh, some people might want to check in every day if you build up a good relationship with them don't have the wall pulled over your eyes i think that's the same with anything and anyone uh, then you'll probably be fine if you don't live near your investment area um agree a system like whatsapp or facebook messenger um if you don't live near your area but you also don't want to go down that route of using various messaging services and on on-site video calls uh, then find someone local who can manage the builder for you uh, again there'll be estate agents lettings agents uh, property sourcing agents as well I would say just make sure you do your homework uh, make sure you do your homework on the builders make sure you've seen previous work make sure you've got recommendations as well 
and have a good knowledge of property as well. You know, my my knowledge uh, f after investing for five years, my knowledge is far from perfect, but my knowledge is a hell of a lot better than it was five years ago. You know, I now know various types of what well, helps to do EPCs as well, but I also know a lot more about property, brick types, uh, you know, and what soffits are, you know, little bits like that, that I didn't have great knowledge when we first started, but I've got a much better knowledge now. So also have a general knowledge about what you're talking about too. That's very useful. But I'll just summarize that again. How can I manage builders properly? It, you might want to manage them yourselves, um, agree contracts, timeframes, uh, work penalties, bits and bobs like that. If it's a very light reefer that you're doing, you know, a hypothetical buy to let here or whatever it might be, you get an estate agent to manage them, get a letters agent to manage them if you don't live in the area or, you know, make use of the technology that we um, have got nowadays. I'm hoping that those FAQs are useful. What Aaron and I are probably going to do at some point, because uh, again, there's a few more episodes at least with the amount of questions that we uh, get asked. We're probably going to put this into a book format, I'd imagine. So the reason for that, appreciate that some people are going to learn better uh, on audio. Uh, certainly appreciate that some people are better learners. Um, if they're reading something, uh, they've got something physical, you know, you know, to touch, to hold. And if they're visual learners as well, might want to see some photos and bits and pieces like that. So at some point, we'll probably get down to writing out um, answers to all these questions as well and put that into a book format. So uh, just keep that on your periphery as well. Keep up to date with the podcast. Uh, we'll broadcast it on here as and when. As always, contact us, Robert, tpmpodcast.com. Get in touch with us on social media platforms. Um, but if you want to be the best help you can be for the podcast, uh, leave us a five star review on iTunes. Uh, we always appreciate the feedback and try and do our best for you so that we're providing as much content of value as possible to you. So it helps your property investing journey. Until next time, I'll feed the same.